where's Anthony? Uh, I'm not sure. All right, I'll send the text. Uh -huh. Go ahead. Hello and welcome to episode 160 of Men and Women Talk the Mars Venus Show. Can y'all believe it? 160 episodes. I am one of your hosts, Kente, all the way live from Los Angeles, California. And I'm joined by my wonderful, beautiful, talented co-host, the one and only Shannon. How you doing, Shannon? Hi. <coughs> I'm good. How are you? I am wonderful. I'm beautiful. I feel great. Uh, before we introduce our guest for tonight. Uh, you want to know my beautiful earrings? Uh, your earrings are wonderful. You've never gone wrong yet. I'm waiting for that moment. You know, yeah, but so. you haven't done it. Yeah, you haven't done it yet. So your your earrings are always on fire. So kudos. Um, Just want to point that out. But I got to give you a big shout out because you gave me a shout out on social media and I really appreciated that because I, I never get no love. Nobody loves me. So I love you. I, I'ma say it on a recorded live. I love you, my friend. Aww, uh, uh, feel free in the chat room to give me some life, love too. Your life matters <laughs> to me. You are muy importante. Thank you, thank you, thank you. This this fight, this this situation, this current movement. My love language is compliments, you guys. So, <laughs> so, so feel free. Uh, no, thank you. I really Am appreciate I it. You guys? Yes. Yes. Definitely. Definitely. I need to be clearer. And, and yeah, hear you and see you. Perfect. So, thank you so much for that. And also joining us, returning champ, the most interesting man. In uh, the DMV area, for sure. Right? Brooklyn, Thanks. what's up? Uh, I feel like saying welcome, but I'm at your house. Um, I mean, you can say welcome. You can say welcome. Thank you for having me, as always. I really appreciate it. I'm honored to be with you, Shannon and Kente. Kente and Shannon. However the billing goes, I don't work for Hollywood. <laughs> um... <laughs> But yeah, man, it's good. It's always good to be here with you guys. Um, and let's do it. All right. All right. So um, last week's show was awesome. It was. I thought, you know, it, it. we covered so much in that. And Brooklyn, as well as Anthony, just brought great insight into it. And I really, really appreciate all that was said from our guests, obviously Shannon and people in my uh, uh, in in our chat room, so mm -hmm. we're doing uh, part two of uh, of uh, the episode we did last week. So I will hand the mic over to Shannon and let her get the proceedings started. Okay, so it became thank you. First of all, it became it, it became imperative and clear to me last Monday that we needed to continue the conversation. Um, we needed to continue the conversation, not just to talk about black men and their vulnerabilities, or even not even just to discuss like um, the cost of being black and male in America, because the system has always been um, infiltrated in a sense of division. And so the family structure has been divided. 
the relationships between black men and women have been divided. And so now it's even an issue of, okay, so we doing all this praising and supporting and loving on black men. What about the black women? You know, we honoring the Ahmad, the Aubrey's and the George Floyd's, but what about the Breonna Taylor's? We have to be able to come to the table of understanding and hold space for each other. Agreed. To be the light for each other. To feel like we can protect each other. Like we can be a voice for each other. So yes, the topic is black men and being vulnerable because historically they haven't given they haven't been given permission to be that. But it's also a call to action in their vulnerability and in their strength to acknowledge that black women have held you down and have given you the encouragement and the energy and the essence um the life everything but everything to thrive and survive and to live another day and so we have to even have that conversation in this segment which is why I said we needed a part two, because I believe in restorative relationships. We have got to restore our relationships with one another. We have to be willing to change the narrative with one another. So yeah, we gonna talk about black men and being vulnerable because that's dope. But what else is dope? Is that we gonna be black and vulnerable together. Mm-hmm. All right, I appreciate that. Amen. Yes. So that's my two copper coins. Y'all can spend it any way y'all like. Hey, what's up, Thomas? In the chat. And this segment is brought to you guys by Ben and Jerry's because they too support the movement. And it says Ben and Jerry's. I like the spoon. Mm. I like that. I like that. Yeah, that's pretty dope. They didn't know they was endorsing it, but they endorsing it because I said so. <laughs> so. All right. As always, I'm a service off how I always do. Brooklyn, how was your week? How are you? Um, I'm doing well. My week has been busy but good. Um, you know, we were all navigating uh what's been going on and well it's twofold, right? It's like yeah. it's like You took the red pill, you know, 30 years ago, and everyone else in your neighborhood just took it last week. Yeah. So people are like, this is what the Matrix really looks like. And you're like, welcome <laughs> to the party, you know. Um, and the, the work, right, is to, is to try not to be smug about it. Right? Yeah. Like, because there's a balance. Like you, we we can feel um, part of the part of the gift, or the gift and the curse of being black is you have to you're operating in other people's space all the time. Absolutely. Which makes us. I mean, like this is why. Um, you know, comedians, right? Like Chris Rock. I also love Tony Rock. Like comedians in general, but your Richard Pryors, your Eddie Murphy's, 
your um, your Chris Rock, it's observational. You mm -hmm. are in you are in the world and you are in somebody else's world and you see it all. So literally just literally last night on Facebook and it always hurts right? like Chris Rock um, also I think I'm not alone in this. Racism sucks. Mm-hmm. But when you find out that somebody you like, not a celebrity, I don't give a damn about that, but somebody you, you've met and you thought you were cool, right? Yeah. And not, not a friend, just someone you know. There's a guy that I know. I only know him from car shows, right? But I always thought he was cool, right? He says last night on Facebook, you know... You're letting TV and the news tell you that racism exists. If you'd walk out, get off your couch and walk outside and walk around, you'd see that um, there's not really much racism in 2020. And, um, you know, I, I, I hang out all the time and I don't know anybody racist. You know, I can't tell you the last time I ran into a racist. Now, this man, this man lives, and I believe grew up, in North Carolina. Mm. Right? Now, if I'm telling you somebody is in North Carolina, and is probably in his 30s, and has never seen racism, could this possibly be a black man? Is, is, there, a, is there a black man in the... Tar Heel State. I lived in North Carolina. I was in the Marine Corps. I lived in Jacksonville. I got out. I went to college in Greensboro. You know, and, and I love I love North Carolina. People were very nice there. I'm originally from New York City. People were very nice there. However, to live in North Carolina and not know, like they literally had a thing where politicians in North Carolina were specifically trying to stop black people from voting and they weren't even hiding it. It was on the news every day. Mm. So what? You you racism doesn't exist and people are making it up? Is that why there are protests going around on across the whole entire globe? So wait, you're telling me You're telling me that they are protesting for Black Lives Matter in Korea, Syria, Iran, Bolivia, Germany. Yeah. Germans get it. Yep. And and you're here like, hey. So I mean, and it reminds me of women go through. I'm I'm gonna try. I've been I've been. Um, I have been counseled that um, I need to I need to share more, and I shall share more. Yes, please. But but let me let me say that you know if someone in South Korea, I've, I've, I've my twin sister used to live in South Korea. I visited South Korea, right? Mm-hmm. I visited South Korea, and I was the only black man in the towns we were in the whole like I went to Seoul and I didn't see a brother I'm sure there was a brother in the army or something so I didn't see him while I was there 
I did not see another black man for a week and a half. But I, it didn't feel, it didn't feel like, you know, anything. It was cool, right? It's just so weird that people can live in America and be adult. If you're seven, okay, you don't know. But how are you going to be 35 and, and not know about the existence of racism? Because uh, then it feels like gaslighting, you know? You know, you never, you never ever worry when you get pulled over and you're seeing you really, that's why it's, that's why George Floyd started a firestorm because never before, right? Even like, dude, when Rush Limbaugh is like, what the hell was that? When right. Rush Limbaugh is like, what, what in broad daylight with your hands in your pockets? You murdered this dude. Your partner's help. No, nobody said, get off him, man. Nobody pulled you off. Nobody. And then it was a UN coalition. You had the Asian cop, the black cop, the white cop, and the other white cop. Like, if, if the murder is not going to get stopped in that situation, when is it going to get stopped? In the dark, in an alley with no cameras around? So anyway, needless to say, and you know what? I didn't even pull out my Twitter finger. I was gonna say something on that post, and I was like, "You cannot, you cannot type characters to make a person like this get it." Other people were trying, like, "Look, you're, you're speaking from a place of privilege, this and that." And I, I hats off to those people, but yeah. you know, we've all done it enough, you know, like. With your maybe with your personal friends, maybe with your colleagues, you've done it. But it's like, I you mean you're a functioning adult? You got a driver's license. You go to work every day. You know how to buy a plane ticket. You might be raising kids, and I have to explain. You know, I have to explain something like Black Lives Matter doesn't mean only Black Lives Matter. I have to explain that to you. I'm not gonna waste my breath. That part. That's all. Look, bless you. Bless you. It, it's been a week. It's been a doozy. I did. I I am with you on that. I between the person who looks like me who called me a struggle pick me to the person who didn't understand why I was commenting to the phrase and just listen to the phrase because I know y'all get it. Somebody said the phrase shoe. Shoe Felicia instead of bye bye Felicia. And so I said something to the contrary about the comment. And this lady got offended because she was like, Well, are you calling us trailer trash? Ma'am, reading is so fundamental. And I'm going to need you to read what I said because I said what I said. I am calling that statement, which is a gross depiction of a major line in a movie and you up in arms because you used to live in public housing you told me your business I didn't know that so you need to understand context first off and that's the problem with social media everybody thinks they know everyone or from which they speak based on the comments that they give you had to tell a little girl the other day you don't know me from a can of paint but I'm not going to argue this 
woman who is not African-American holding a cardboard sign saying, I love black dick and you gonna hear me speak. I'm not gonna argue that point. I don't care about that. The point that I wanna argue is, is that they are more than that. This is what I want to offer him as a woman of color in the plight of restoring relationships. All you saw was me wanting to be his piece and that makes me a struggle. Pick me, who hurt you? And that's where I realized, yes, we can see you, Anthony, and your blue wonderlight, um, Kmart special. Shout out to Kmart. Um, but it makes me wonder who who's having conversations with whom? Because we are not being raised the same way. I get that. We don't right. all have the same experiences. I get that. But if you are taking social media comments in context and using them to depict relationships that you aren't even actually in with the people you're commenting back with, what's the bigger problem here? Because I left that post this morning behind the shoe shoe Felicia and they going back and forth about black people don't live in trailer parks, white people don't live in dinner. And I'm like, this is about a movie line from the movie Friday. Y'all are commenting on my comment and now this is about black people don't live in trailers and you call me white trailer trash. My comment was shoo, shoo, Felicia what kind of trailer park, recycle bin, trash receptacle, garbage is this? Lord, come get your children. That was my statement verbatim. Where did you get you white trash in that? I didn't even use the word white. I didn't even use the word black. So you up in arms telling your business, taking offense to something that ain't got nothing to do with you and you don't even know the context of the statement. Well, we I mean... We too much. Too much. Mm. Uh, welcome to the show, Anthony. Hi, Anthony. Peace, peace, peace. Yes. Uh, so, uh, we are, yeah, no, no, it's all good. No, uh, just for people who just came in, uh, we are doing our part two of our black men and being vulnerable, uh, show and, uh, to reset, we have Brooklyn as well as Anthony on the show. And, uh, so, um, we got, we got, we talked a lot last week, right? And, um, there's some things when it comes to being vulnerable we talked about about being able to be vulnerable um in our relationships being vulnerable uh just what that looks like um what that does what we shouldn't be afraid of you know when it comes to that um also let's talk about expectations uh for black men Right. Um, there's a lot of black men who believe that there are certain societal expectations that black men must fall under, that black men can't have to exist in one kind of way. And I think you guys know what I'm talking about. Um, black men act a certain way, right? Black men, they listen to a certain kind of music. 
black men uh, do things this way. And if you don't fit in that box, you know, you are talked about. Um, And then also, when you do fit in that box, then you become vulnerable to the perceptions of outside of our community by law enforcement, by if you unfortunately are on trial for something, that jury had those perceptions of what black men are as well. Um, When you go in to get a loan or when you go in to get, uh, or you're trying to get a job, right? So a lot of time, well, in our community, black men are socialized to be certain things. And I feel like the brothers that we have on our panel today, you know, uh, you guys are, um, you guys have a, eclectic tastes, right? Um, you guys kind of beat, dance to the beat of your own drum, right? So I kind of want you to talk about perceptions, you know, because I, I believe you guys both work and either have or work in fields where maybe there's not a lot of people that look like you, right? So you walk into a room and being the only brother there, there's a, you know, there's perceptions, right? So I just want you guys to kind of talk about what's that's like. Let's start from the working, working field, you know, um, working, just perceptions that people will have of you of outside of our community and how you've navigated through those waters to achieve in your fields. So, um, uh, since Anthony just came here, you want to start off, Anthony? Uh, sure. Let's see. Um, yeah, and I'm, I think about certain things, you know, like maybe small or seemingly minute to, you know, larger perceptions. One of being, one of which being, um, being in the in the military, yeah. and that's, you know, I mean, uh, I think it definitely at one point a very white male dominated industry as far as you know from the senior officers to the senior enlisted all the way down to the junior enlisted and then you know we got historical points in time where um, blacks were allowed to be in the military still not treated with the equal privileges I mean I think at this point in this particular age demographic we have most of us have probably seen glory or at least heard of it and seeing the you know the disparity in in between the uniforms being given to certain soldiers as opposed to you know I mean black soldiers the boots being old or the uniforms being too small and not having adequate resources or rations and things of that nature and then uh you know I mean um, also it being um, I mean so we've seen that so my time in the military i definitely seen had some issues there were a couple times uh right before i went to iraq um we were in fort bragg and uh i'm over a mobilization station and i remember there was a, a point where we had gotten our weekend pass to go out you know off, off post um company commander says that if everyone is not here for formation you didn't we didn't have a recall formation the night before but if you're not here by formation by the 0600 formation 
if you are late, then you will not only cost those privileges for yourself, but for the rest of the company. Mm. Um, I uh, lived on the edge. <laughs> and so I was out like in Raleigh or something, somewhere like a couple hours away, waited for the very, very like last minute. And I'm flying down the highway back to Fayetteville, back to Fort Bragg. And I made it, you know what I mean? Because I wasn't going to be the reason why, you know, people's privileges or weekend passes were being taken away. So I made it. And I made it in enough time before everybody was time for everybody to wake up. Got in, hit the, uh, you know, hit the barracks, took my shower, put my uniform on, and I laid on my bunk. I was on the top bunk. Well, I've already done what I needed to do. I'm back here. I'm awake. I'm tired. I haven't slept. But so I'm in that, you know, in between stage where not really being asleep, but also not really being awake. Well, we had um, one of the soldiers in there. I forget what his rank was at the time, but this is prior to him becoming. No, he was our first sergeant before we actually got in country. So I remember him and two other uh, white soldiers, junior enlisted, um, one of which was in my section, S6. And they're all standing around talking. Um, everybody's in their normal commotion, their routine, as far as, you know, shit, shower, and shave, and all that. Well, at a certain point, I hear him say to me, knowing inherently that he was talking to me, he says, Get up, boy. And it, I, I just felt like extremely rigid. And all of these things going through my mind, it's like, Yo, I know he didn't just, did he just call me boy? Mm. Now, I mean, he's older than I am, um, but he's also, lack of a better term, redneck, good old boy. Mm. And then so were the other two that were standing in, in, in circle with him, you know, uh, dip chewing, spitting, you know, that whole, that whole stereotypical, you know, I guess that type of energy. So I'm seeing him, I hear him say that to me, and I remember raising up out of my bunk, almost like <laughs> The Walking Dead or one of the zombies in thriller and i just kind of looked at him with this kind of very questioning and uncomfortable look like yo you just call me boy at this point i'm 21 yeah i turned 21 so i'm like man i'm old enough to go over here to fight in the same war with you but i still have to deal with certain things like this and now we have certain things that are in place um as far as uh I could have made a formal EO complaint, equal opportunity complaint, but I'm also looking at the range and rank. I'm a specialist. You're the first sergeant. Even though these people are around you that clearly heard what you say, I now have to prove intent as far as what it is that you said and how you called, why you called me a boy. Yeah, I'm younger than you, but at this point, by all points, the only thing I can't do at that point, uh, at that age of 21, is like run for president or some shit like that. You got to be 35, I believe. But I'm like, I'm past the, the voting age, the tobacco age. I'm 21 now, so I definitely can drink. So all of these other these allowances that have been afforded to me by my age, I now have been reduced to a boy because I wasn't up doing what it is that you wanted me to do at the time. Never mind that I was completely done. I'm just ready for us to all go out together to get in formation. So um, I, in, in having that being a really, I guess, a troubling thing, knowing it, I'm like, I'm going to war with you. Mm-hmm. Something happens, I also, I got we on the same, we're supposed to be on the same side. We're wearing the same uniform. Your rank is different than mine. But I still got to deal with this. Um, and then also other challenges that I face, being in country, in Iraq, and somebody who was the same rank as me, another white guy. And all, for all intents and purposes, it was generally cool. I didn't have any issues with him, but I remember uh, explaining something to him 
and I remember using the word melodic. Now, if you have heard me speak on any of these platforms previously, my vocabulary, I have a decent vocabulary. And you know I me, mean, I write the way that I speak. I try to speak very fluently and articulately, but this has been a practice, again, from 21 or around right about that age to now. So I've definitely gotten better over time. But I remember being challenged on the use of that word. Like, oh, you don't even know what that, melodic, you don't even know what that means. So now I'm just like, well, are you questioning because, are you questioning my intelligence? Because you don't think I'm smart? Or is it because I'm black? Melodic is not a you know word that has many syllables. <laughs> Three? Melodic. You know what I mean? So I'm like, oh, or is it that you really don't know and now I'm making you feel, you know, somewhat inferior? And, oh, the, or now you want to challenge me in my vocabulary. And this, those are two drastic instances, but I felt I could tell the difference between me being challenged just on the fact that you may not really know me that well or know my level of intelligence, or you're challenging me based on my pigmentation. And in either one of those situations, just being in that particular workplace, not really having any recourse on what it is that I can do. How can I challenge that? How can I take that up to my, my section sergeant or my company commander or my OIC? And if I did, those people are, except for my company commander, Captain Gerald, was a black man. Oh, is a black man. Uh, but everybody else is, you know, I guess white. So if I take these two, these people, these, these uh, discrepancies that I have, how seriously is it going to be taken? And you're going to look at me like, oh, I'm just making a fuss out of nothing. I'm making a mountain out of a molehill. So it's like I don't have, even in a system where we're supposed to be having each other back, we train the same, we eat, we eat together, sleep together, we're carrying weapons together, we have all of this same general mission. But even in that mission, even in this collective unit, squadron, whatever the case it is, there's still divisiveness because you still don't see me as an equal counterpart until it's time for me to die on for your cause. Mm. Um, and I feel like that's maybe an extreme example that not the average American has to deal with. But I'm sure that there are similar examples. And would it, regardless of what industry that you're in, that you have to deal with certain things like that. So it's like, man, you can't really, it's difficult to be vulnerable, even in that particular space. Uh, and then this will be my last thing, my OIC, Major Aiken, um, was, had a very, uh, I guess, a Napoleon complex. He was maybe in like 5'3 or something like that. Mm. And when we got, in, we got in country, we go to Kuwait to get climatized. We're in Kuwait. I had uh, my OIC changed. I had a different OIC. He switched out, and I remember he had issues uh, again about uh, with me, um, but I couldn't really say as to why. I don't know. We the, the OICs changed. He and I got along well. I had to go to briefings, take notes, come back, give him debrief him on the briefing that I sat in in his place because I was the first one, I guess, assigned to the section or what have you. Well, we go from Kuwait to Iraq and there was a 180 degree change in his attitude to a point where uh, on a, two different occasions I was present uh, unbeknownst to him as he was lying to the company commander about me or on me mm. and it was when he realized I was there he quieted up and you know kept moving but then he had some sort of personal vendetta against me until it affected me I guess started affecting me mentally like I'm no longer myself. Normally jovial, you know what I mean? I'm good time, whatever the case may be, to where it really extinguished my spirit. Like, 
I can't be me because no matter what it is that I do, you're finding something wrong and you're coming after me. You want to reduce my rank? You want to reduce my pay? For what reason exactly? What have I done that has been so egregious? And I don't see you doing any of that with any of these other soldiers that don't look like, I mean, that don't look like me or have the same similar pigmentation. I don't see that. Until it was, I had to even, I guess, be smarter and getting around and put it, kind of putting that to an end to where I made the decision within myself to not allow his efforts to affect me the way that it had been because yeah. I didn't like the way that I was like I'm normally singing and joking and whatever the case may be and all of that stopped for about a solid month and the people that were that are my were my friends over there noticed that it was a noticeable difference in my particular behavior so um until I took it upon myself and figured out you know I mean to be outsmart him in a, in a, in a way to the point where he ended up making himself look foolish i ended up getting on extra duty i didn't get a reduction in rate but i did get a like company grade article 15 or field grade whichever one that only lasts for a short period of time i had like i think it was a field grade article 15 and um even my first sergeant at that time he was like man this is bullshit that he's doing but because of the regulations we have to follow through with these things you know what i'm saying to, to make sure that everything stays in line but yeah. um even with that, it's like, why do I got to outsmart you in order for you to leave me alone for to, to not bother me? Why I got to be, you know, two times smarter, two times braver, whatever. I have to be your level and some in order to still not be considered as equal mm -hmm. um, or to be looked or perceived in that particular way. So, uh, yeah, those are, I guess, three small and relatively relatively close in proximity as far as the time was concerned. But having to deal with that type of uh that energy i'm hoping that i answered your question no no you All did right. you did okay and it's interesting because uh it, it partially you you touched on something i was gonna uh, add uh another kind of question and then of course i want uh, brooklyn to answer as well is do you feel like as a brother and you're you're not a sh small dude you're like what about six what uh six six two six three on a good day when my posture's <laughs> right. Um, um, do you feel like when you're in in situations when especially when there's not a lot of us around that you have to be more surgical in the way you handle it or more intellectual because the the lit, the, the least amount of anger shown can be taken as something totally beyond what maybe it really is. Do you feel like do you have you ever felt like that? Um yeah, absolutely. And I've had my jobs or my ability to get jobs affected because of it. Mm -hmm. Being back here in the States, working in the film industry, there was a production coordinator. Working on this on this music video, um, Ludacris and Kelly Rowland representing. I'm at this, I'm a production assistant. Low man on the totem pole, there before everybody gets there, the last one to leave. Not unlike being, you know, junior enlisted in the military. So, mm -hmm. You gotta, I, I'm there. I've been there 24 plus hours. At the end of the day, she decides she kind of wants to go above and beyond and have me do more things than was required for me to do. Now, I've already been doing, again, I've been up over 24 hours. And then once I left that location, my job wasn't done because I was then tasked with the, um, or given the task to find a place to dump trash, which was every bit of illegal. Had I gotten caught dumping it at some gas station dumpster or whatever that's a citation but i'm like yeah and at, after that point i end up like yeah i'm not dumping your trash no more you either need to put this stuff in the budget 
for it to be taken care of because if I get a ticket, I get cited for this, you're not going to pay for this. It's not going to come out of production. You're going to be like, oh, I should have picked wherever, but this isn't my responsibility. This is trash for the for the, for the whole day. But with that trash, we're at Luda's house and there was something that she wanted to do. I'm exhausted at this point. I'm talking about nearly 36 hours of just being awake and constantly moving in the heat. Now it's cold, it's nighttime. Everybody else is going home and going home to go to sleep or finish up whatever they had to do. Well, I mean, I mean, I um, don't wear my emotions on my on my face or on my sleeve. But because she felt I got an attitude with her, not because I said anything, because my facial expression wasn't pleasant enough for her. I don't think I worked for like the next two months. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wasn't called from like from anybody in the film industry to work for the next two months. And I'm like, and so when I was told what happened, it's like, oh yeah, well, you know, she said you got an attitude. I'm like, yo, when do I ever get an attitude with anybody, especially in them particular environments? Like I'm moving around as surgical or as docile as I can be because I also know I am a large black man. Like I'm, so mm-hmm. that comes with its own stuff and social attached to it. So because you felt or thought that I got an attitude, now you're inhibiting my ability to earn money. And it had nothing to do with the production. I didn't affect anything. The filming wasn't halted. This is the end of the day, and I want to go home. As you go home and you're in the bed, but I'm still out here looking for places to dump this trash. And just because you didn't like the way that you thought my face looked at the time. Right. Maybe confused my exhaustion with you know what I mean an attitude and even if I did I still did what it was that you asked me to do so even if I did it and did it with an attitude then that still affected me you know I guess negatively in that in that regard and I gotta find other means to you know what I mean earn earn a living and I'm only a PA so I'm disposable and like you can throw you can find any of those almost walking on the street hey you wanna work on this film Mm-hmm. All right, come on. It's going to pay $75 a day or $200 a day, whatever the cost is. So yeah. I was literally told by uh, a, a white woman the reason why this is when I was fresh out of high school. I was trying to do PA work, right? That yeah. that the reason why I wasn't getting a lot of gigs was they like, they're, you know, the if you they like to be able to yell and scream and, and treat uh, PA workers badly. And they were intimidated by me. So they didn't really want that. You know, they wanted somebody they could like push around, you know, to do that stuff. And she was literally, she said, I'm going to just be honest. I know how these guys think. That's, that was the, uh, the issue. So I was like, I mean, you know, I wasn't going to go for that anyway. So, you know, cause I, it was funny though. I like other PAs would get that kind of abuse or whatever. I never got it. So, you know, um, it was funny. I would have them be like, um, is it okay if you um, go to uh, Krispy Kremes and get some, donuts? you know, whatever. You know, that's what I would get. But then that's what I was told was that uh, that was why it was hard for me to get the work. So, you know, it is what it is. So, uh, Brooklyn, you've you've worked also in a lot of fields where you may have been the only black or very few. Um, what's that been like for you? Uh-oh. Yeah, um I've had a uh, a lot of experiences. I you know, I I work in aerospace and I was in the Marine Corps and um 
a lot of my experience has been um, in in the aeronautical spaces where we're we're not we're not really thoroughly represented. Um, you know, I'm six four. 265 pounds. Um, I'm not a very shy person. So uh, people, people are, in my experience, uh, they act, people can act funny sometimes, you know, people are, the weird thing about being a big black guy is that someone your exact size thinks you're much bigger than them. <laughs> right. Like, dude, I have eyes. They're the same size. <laughs> right. It's so weird. And it's, it's the, um, and it's always been like that. Um, it's, the, it's the same way, like, you know, Tamir Rice was a 12-year-old boy. Mm-hmm. But he got treated like a man to the point the police didn't get out the car before shooting. Mm. They didn't stop the car before shooting him. And that's because, um, you know, studies have shown even as children, we're not looked at as children. I'm talking about black people for anybody with an airshot. We're looked at as like small adults. That's why, um, you know, when Trayvon Martin got killed, a 30 year old man followed, stalked, and shot a 16, 17 year old boy but he was not looked at yeah. as a seven, 16 or 17 year old boy. He was looked at as like, he was made into this beast like a superhero kind of kind of deal, right? Um, it's been shown in medical schools that doctors think you know, black people don't feel pain, right? Um, Serena Williams, one of the most famous women on the planet and obviously an athlete, uh, uh, a champion, and a very influential human being was all but ignored after childbirth and almost died. She's like, no, something's wrong. I've had blood class before. Something's going on here. So if a woman worth $600 million is not paid, if a black woman, that's key. That part. If a black woman who is worth $600 million is presumed to be able to feel no pain even after childbirth, um, ignored by professional doctors and nurses. You know she was not in um, Roscoe's chicken, waffles, and labor and delivery. You know she was <laughs> in some, you know, incredible facility, right? Mm-hmm. So that's just the kind of thing that we we often have to deal with. And as I alluded to earlier, we have to exist in that world, right? Um, the world doesn't stop, you know, I've been working on airplanes since I was 13 years old. The world doesn't stop and say, okay, well, you know, here, go to Wakanda Airlines and, and you won't have to worry about everybody turning around when you walk into a meeting, right? Um, you just have to live with it. And sometimes um, you live with it. It's a, it's almost a thing about trauma, right? Uh, this with the last few weeks having to talk about stuff, 
I've had friends reach out to me and ask me how I'm doing or engaging conversations with me, right? I've like I haven't been active on social media. I took a break. Like I think this might be the one month since like I if you check, I haven't posted anything since like May eighth. It's June eighth. So um but when all this stuff started happening, people started hitting me up. Hey Brooke, you good? What's going on? And um and sometimes when I'm talking to people, I share stories. And our minds are amazing things, right? Like, it's been coming up a lot that the first time I got drugged out of my brother's car, I was 12. Mm. The first time the police, a group of police, put a gun to my head and threatened to blow my head off if I moved, I was 12. And uh, one particular friend of mine, you know, um, I'm good friends with her. I'm good friends with her husband. She messaged me and she's like, my oldest is 12 now. Like, I can't, I can't, she can't fathom that happening to her 12-year-old son. And fortunately for her, it's not likely, right? Um, but we get treated like, like, as a 12-year-old boy, I had to know I can't get an attitude. I can't move. I can't run. These grown men will absolutely kill me and nothing will happen to them. Yeah. You know, when I was 12, nobody had a cell phone camera. So, I mean, and even if they did, I would have just gotten killed. And that was, again, the first time. And I was talking about it with her and I was also talking about it later on or another day with a colleague of mine. He's like, I'm 39, and that's never, nothing like that's ever happened to me or, or anyone I know or anyone, uh, any other white guy I know, you know. And then he regaled me with a story of a time he was driving across the country. He wasn't even in his home state, and he got pulled over going 120 miles per hour. Wow. And um, the cop reduced it a little so he wouldn't have to arrest him, and then um gave him a ticket and then made it so that he doesn't have to come back 120 miles per hour wow and and he was just like you know i see that your life and my life are not you know comparable our experiences are not comparable and it's the thing about it is right when a black man tells you, yep, I've been pulled over, you know, more times than I can count, and I got treated like a human being during some of those traffic stops, right? It's literally unbelievable. That's why people say things like, well, if you were just respectful, well, what in our time together made you think that I would disrespect right. the officer right. during the traffic stop. If you've never seen any of that type of behavior from me in professional or personal interactions, what makes you think that the day I choose to act wild is the day someone that I don't know with a gun is standing in my car window, right? So it's for some, and there are, 20, 30, 40, 50, 80-year-old Americans 
who before they saw George Floyd die thought everything else they must have done something right they saw this black man Mark Cuban said that with his hands cuffed behind his back like many of us have been without being criminals right like it doesn't Dylan Roof murdered nine people in a church right and went to Burger King old ladies a state senator nine human beings in a church and when they caught up with him the the officer closest to him put his firearm away he knows he's dealing with the murderer a nutcase a savage he put his firearm away and then they arrested him but they didn't just arrest him they fed him burger king this is a mass murder in a church right so juxtapose that to how we all have a story of when we were treated horribly and then oh this is one of my favorites i love this song when someone started throwing these statistics on facebook in one of these threads hey look black police officers kill more black people than white police officers of course they do because the way white supremacy is set up if the black cops know that nothing happens to cops when they kill black people that's so why would they why would they go around killing white people because right. white cops get away with killing black people black cops get away with killing black people you saw there was a brother there when george floyd died was he on george floyd's side was he pulling Derek off do you think you you think uh what did bane say you think the darkness is your ally do you think that black people think black cops are their allies listen when i was 12 it was just my brother and i in his car my brother's 10 years old but that's not the worst the worst is on constitution avenue having just driven by the capitol being um surrounded and run upon in the car it was just me and my mom and these two black police officers offered to pull me out of the car and fuck me up and my words to them this is my mom you're talking like that in front of my mom i'm with my mother right so it wasn't it wasn't i'm a grown man i've been in a lot of fights it wasn't that they were threatening to beat me up for for nothing like i think what it was was they were standing they had their cruisers in the street and they were just outside of the cruisers talking to each other and i was getting my mom to union station so they were talking i sat there for a minute and eventually drove around them because it's a street and i have a steering wheel and their lights weren't on they were just hanging out so they got in their cars chased me down pulled us over and berated me in front of my mother and i'm just like it's my mother so if black police officers treat black people like that you know and with an elder so they don't have regard like that power dynamic and that that power trip they're on it doesn't protect 
it's not some kind of Wakandan uh, agreement wherein they treat black people with kid gloves. But I think a lot of I think a lot of other people think so. Think that there's some benefit. There's never been. Karis one talked about it in the 80s. I'm sure Ice Cube talked about it in the 90s. There is no special treatment our way. You know, I didn't experience what um I've never experienced what my colleague experienced getting let go from student tickets and stuff like that because the cop is black. It just doesn't work that way. You know, that's what people don't understand about white supremacy. Your type of cops go fine because you're not the target. You know, I mean, you have to literally do something. You know, you have to start something. I haven't had to start anything. However, I want to give a special shout out to the Maryland State Troopers. Those guys have very long training. Those guys are always professional. I've never had a problem out of those guys. Not so much the New Jersey, New York, South Carolina, uh, Georgia, you know, North Carolina, Maryland. Your troopers are good. All right. I want to take a, a moment. Uh, we're going to do a chat room shout out. But before we do that, I want to let people know that this Thursday we have a special Men and Women Talk to Mars Venus show episode. We're doing poetry night. So if you guys want to participate, please let me know. You guys uh, are all following me. Um, if you have something that you want to share, uh, we're going to have a, a lineup that I, we need to work on uh, the next couple of days who's actually coming on to uh, share some of their poetry. But also it's going to be an open mic as well at the end. If anyone wants to just read something, it doesn't have to be something that you wrote. It can be something that you just feel is powerful that uh, you want to share with the audience as well. So that is this Thursday at 6 p.m. Uh, 9 Eastern uh, right here. Um, so I'll do the uh, chat room shout out. Uh, I'll start off with Facebook. I see Ebony Empress herself. Sandra is in the chat. Kedra is in the chat. Um, let's see. We also have... Um, Tonetta Clay is in the chat, and uh, Ronald Smith was here earlier, uh, and on Get Vocal, uh, we have Angela, what's up Angela, uh, we have Chan, we have um, Marion, uh, we have uh, Keisha, uh, Lauren, Natasha, we have uh, Luke, we have Dee, and of course we have Soap Soap Steph. Uh, so and Sandra's joined uh, the Get Vocal chat as well. So thank you for coming, and I will once again hand it back over to Shane. Okay, um, so let's break down. And I've already had this conversation with both Brooklyn and Anthony, so this isn't a surprise or a shocker. And I mentioned it at the beginning of this segment. Um, now that we've had a, a, another evening of talking about vulnerability and what that looks like in terms of relationships um how can you vulnerable black men hold space for the women who have held space for you what does that look like whoever would like to go first um i got it okay did you start brooklyn or not yeah, let me start. Um, I'll try to make it as brief as possible. Here's the oh, thing. You don't have to be brief. Um, here's the thing. Our women, right, are 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 a 
heart of everything we do and everything we are. We, no black man has ever come to this earth without a black woman or without a woman. Your mom might be white, but you know, for the most part, we are bound with, in both directions, right? Our legacy comes through the women who we parent with, right? I don't have any kids personally, but you get you get the gist. Um, and we have to protect that side, you know, that that path. So that that's half of us, probably more than half, right? Um, the black woman is fighting for us day and night, whether she knows this or not, right? That's, you know, look at your Instagram feed. That's black women making the signs out there on the front of the battle line all the time from day one. That's black women, um, you know, coming up with the strategy. That's black women out there in the fight with us, shedding the tears, standing in front of police and riot gear, right? So what we what we must do as black men, what we must do is protect you, help you, hear you, right? Because um, as we alluded to earlier, there is this, um, there is this masculine, you know, imagery that we have to live up to. And it, <clears throat> there are times when that can save us, you know, if you've ever been, um, as I've been many, many times, and I'm sure Anthony's been and Kente's been, as a black man, Sometimes you turn around and you're just in the wrong neighborhood and you're by yourself. And how you carry yourself among these other people who you do not know, right? Um, and as you get older, as you get older, it happens less, but it still happens, right? We've all been there. We were in high school. You know, we get a girl's phone number, we go to see her, and there's there's like ten guys standing between you and and where she is. And it's like and in your head you're like, Do I have to fight ten guys? I can't outrun ten guys. I gotta fight ten guys. And you start doing calculations and you're like, Okay. But the point is, we have to be tough. There's really not uh there's really not a lot of options there, right? Because you, you just have to be. I mean, if you, maybe there's some situations, I mean, um, that you don't, but mostly you do. You have to be tough. But what we have to be is find ways to be vulnerable within our community and with our loved ones and with our family and with one-on-one -on -one with our women. Yeah. There's there's a challenge here. There is something that's trying to keep us apart. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of things trying to keep us apart, right? You know, um, lately it's been, you know, there's a whole thing. Kinti and I know about this. There's a thing called the manosphere, 
mm-hmm. and <laughs> black men have been drug into it because all men have been drug into it. These are guys who like the um uh O'Shea Duke O'Shea Duke these are men going their own way. Yeah, and O'Shea right? Duke Johnson these are all men we you're familiar with this, right, Shannon? These are all men who believe that, you know, all women are gold diggers, all women are going to hit you over the head in divorce court and child support and all of that, and women are bad, and, you know, women are only good for one thing and all of these things, right? Um, a lot of these guys are very upset. Mm-hmm. Uh, some, sometimes it's really just that they're, that they're, um, they're not doing the work. You haven't made me all we all humans, human beings, we are all, all taking place, whether we like it or not, in um, the sexual marketplace, right? And there are ways, and from what I've seen, it's much easier for a man than a woman, but there are ways to increase everyone's sexual market value, right? Mm-hmm. And guys get upset, right? Like, why should I have to do anything to to raise my value it's because like dude you're you are in the animal kingdom right if you watch if you watch uh an animal kingdom show there are birds who spend months collecting trinkets to make their bird house pretty so that the lady bird will come out and 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 say yeah this is the bird for me right you know a lion has to have a big dark mane. Uh, the the an elk the elk has to have the biggest antlers and has to fight the other the other males for the privilege, right? I don't know. I don't. I'll never understand why people don't understand this. But the point is, we have to. We have to. We must in order to get this thing right in this moment. In this moment, you know where we're going to end up thanking the coronavirus for having everyone be at home, bored, you know, working from home and unable to turn turn away from what was happening, which was a man getting murdered, right? And as much as you stare for that in eight minutes and 46 seconds, you can't imagine uh, a 46-year-old white man being slaughtered with with none of the four police stopping it. Now, disclaimer, I guarantee you a 46-year-old white man has been slain by police. I guarantee you plenty, plenty have because the police in Buffalo shoved a an obviously elderly man. He wasn't like a Hollywood 75-year-old where you couldn't tell. He's not Alec Baldwin. This guy was clearly a white-haired, you know, old man, and they shoved him. I later learned that it wasn't an arm. The cop hit him with a baton. Yep. And two of them actually hit him. One pushed him with an arm, the other with a baton. So he was going down, you know, because at first glance, it was like, oh, man, that guy's uh, not very stable. He got shoved by two. Anyway, the point is, We've got to protect each other. We've got to listen to each other. We've got to care for each other. Whether we are related or not, whether we are romantically linked or not, right? Um, 
we're all built different. I'm built in such a way that if I'm walking down the street, you you're not, you know, like I was coming out of um the sculpture garden, my friend Alan and I, and there was a, a couple seemingly arguing about directions, and this brother was just yelling. He started yelling at this sister, and I'm like, hold up. We're gonna stand very close because it looked like it was going another direction. Like, you're not, you're not about to give her a black eye or something out here on, you know, on the, the, the Washington Mall, you know, in front of God and everybody. It's surely not in front of me. You know, people are just, people are Mr. Softy Soft in 2020 for reasons that I cannot explain. But we, it is up to us. We have to start having black women's back. How does any black man allow mistreatment of our women and our girls? In 2020, after Emmett Till's mother, some decades ago, had to have the strength to make the decision that you are going to watch my baby with an open casket and his eyes popping out and his head bashed in. You're going to see that, right? How are we going to not have our women's backs? They're, in, they're out there getting tear gas thrown at them, getting guns pointed in their face, getting handcuffed getting their husbands and boyfriends shot to pieces in front of them, getting shot themselves, getting riddled with bullets in their own homes. How are we, you know? Sure, yes. If you're, if you're, um, if you're white, if you're Hispanic, if you're Asian, yes. If you're an Eskimo and you wanna have a Black Lives Matter sign, I applaud you. Thank you, Syria. Thank you, Iran. Thank you, South Korea. Thank you, Japan. There are places that don't have black people at all who have our backs now. And yet, and yet there are Americans. There are Americans who do not believe racism exists because they've never experienced it. Just like an eagle has never been eaten by an owl. What a squirrel has, a rabbit has. We have to, we have to protect our women. Period. Amen. Well said. Protect our women and our children as well. If you can't protect your women and your children, you ain't shit. What are you doing? What will you die for? Right. If you won't die for that, what will you die for? And if you'll die for nothing, then why are you living? Mm-hmm. No, I, I, I'm 100% with you. 100%. That is well said. Anthony? Indeed. <laughs> um, you have to remind me in part the question. I want to make sure I'm answering it uh, in, the, in the correct fashion. Um, now that you have, a, you were able to express what it's like for you to be vulnerable 
and have space held for you? How can you in turn use your vulnerability and offer that same space for the women who have made it available to you? Um, I'd have to say, I guess maybe in in the simplest form that I can think of right now, which is through provision and in doing just that, providing that same space, creating a space of security. And all of the things that Brooklyn was just saying and all the examples as far as the bird, the lion, the different things like that, within those examples are spaces of security to where the female counterparts feel comfortable of being able in setting up shop or setting up home, setting up house. You're with this person who is established, I guess, dominance through physical measures with us being a little bit more uh, civilized, as it were. You know, we have different avenues to really kind of establish those things and create that comfort, create that security, create those, um, I guess, provisions that will allow our black women to take off their armor as well. As well, I mean, we all out here walking, fighting wars out here. And the last thing I feel like anybody wants to do is come home to the place where it's supposed to be refuge, it's supposed to be a haven, you're supposed to find solace and have to continue to fight the person that you are in, you know, in platonic, familial, or romantic relationship with. Um, like, you don't want to, and that's, I guess that's one of the things that I've uh, wanted or desired for such a very long time because of those same things. And um, even listening to Brooklyn and what he's talking about just reminds me of the, I guess the book that I read the, the Willie Lynch letters and it not being very much different as far as the dismantling of, dismantling of the black man and you kill this black man in front of the family because this is the pillar of I guess supposed to be the pillar of strength, the rock, the, you know all of these things but if we can break him down and degrade denigrate all of these things to him in front of them then what is the recourse, what, like, what recourse do you have and so now you'll be even more subservient because you don't want that to happen to you and you don't want that to happen to you as the woman don't want that to happen to your children. Now you're going to train your children you know, to, to be uh, even more docile so that they can go along and get along. But even outside of that, I think that it is um, I just very imperative of creating that space of safety because only at the point where you feel safe is when you begin to trust the environment, trust who uh, you are with or who you are around, and it's just—it's not limited to your romantic counterpart. Because, I mean, I also have an example like Brooklyn shared. I'm riding along with my mother, and I see there's a verbal altercation going on between two vehicles. This black man gets out his car, walks around to this black woman's car, gets out, and I think he struck her once. So I'm at the stoplight. And now I, have to get, I feel obligated to get out because, yes, she may have said some slick words to you, but that should not cause you to go and put your hands on this woman. You know what I mean? We're still on the same side regardless. So for me, I couldn't just really drive by without stepping into a degree. But even that's finicky because you don't know the dynamics of the relationship or if they are together, if they're not, if it's, you know, who's carrying and who isn't. And I was. I had one in the car. Thankfully, the situation diffused without me having to be physical with anybody. But then I was also further conflicted for two reasons. My mother's in the car. She knew I had a firearm in my vehicle. And she was like, man, you better than me. I would have pulled on him. I'm like, well, I got to be 
once again, I have to be smarter than that because if I do that, what am I doing? I'm now almost inciting the very stereotypical black on black crime because I'm now trying to stop this or protect this black woman. And I don't know her from a can of paint, but I feel like she should be treated in a higher regard, even if her mouth makes you feel like that treatment or that respect isn't warranted. You know what I mean? Whether your your ideals, you know, don't really necessarily have anything to do with the way that you, I guess, treat a person and especially, I guess, um, our black women. So, but I also felt con- conflicted for the second reason because I felt like you should be reprimanded. I don't know you to pull you to the side and be like, nah, brother, this ain't the way. Um, but in that particular part of Georgia, uh, with it being predominantly black, black populated, the police force out there is very black. Clayton County River, there's a lot of black people out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm like, well, now even further protection, like you can't do this. But like, man, I don't want to call the police on him, but I also don't feel like I can let you walk away for what it is that you did because that was unnecessary. Like, yeah. if y'all are two separate cars, she running her mouth, let y'all going in different directions, going about your business. But whatever it was she said, has affected you and it really wasn't what she said it's everything else that's piled on top of you that now this is the the straw that broke the camel's back and being able to really identify what is going on in your individual personal self so that you don't lash out at the very people that are out here who will you will likely need to protect you you will likely need to um create or provide the space for you to be able to be vulnerable so i think being mindful of a lot of all of those things and creating that space so that we each in turn can take off put down our weapons we each in turn can take down our take off our body armor and even set the crowns to the side like heavy as the head then where's the crown my neck hurt let me come in and create this environment let me rub your shoulders let me rub your neck let me you know what i mean let me help you or let's nurse each other's wounds because we're both fighting the same fight it's really not different at all um so i feel like the provision is i guess is a large part and going back to what brooklyn said definitely listening and more than just hearing but actually listening you know i mean hearing is passive listening is active and then there's something that generally when you listen that you can do in correspondence to what was said or what was felt and i guess seeking to understand where it is that this woman or whichever woman whether it be your woman your child your daughter sister aunt mother whatever the case may be like all of these women are fighting in the macro or yeah the macrocosm the same fight but in the microcosmic way there are different elements or different aspects of this fight that they're they're facing and i mean and the same goes back for us and then also lastly uh but not least understanding that you know i mean i, I get on my pro-black soapbox you know what i mean black women are multipliers what you give into a woman she will bring it right back to you on a grander scale so why wouldn't you want to give protection to the very conduit that is going to provide you a better quality of life a better sound uh, place to have a sound mind peace of mind uh whatever the case it is i mean and there are plenty of examples you bring you know for the type of woman that likes to be home and cook you bring home groceries you're gonna create a meal it didn't come that way you went and bought raw whatever and took those skills and that, that that time and that love that is put into that because it's going right back into you and so it works synergistically and if we provide those spaces for one another then the elevation is really the only 
place that we can go. You know, the ascendance is really the only thing that can, I feel like that, that can happen. Um, granted, there are variables, casualties of war, and understanding that uh, I, it is a fight not for current, but for our posterity. I wasn't here when Dr. King was around. And while, you know, a lot of those methods worked for that time, well, we're in a different, this is a different war, this is a different ball game. Same underlying thought processes or tones, but now something, the in, I guess the enemy has adjusted. The enemy yeah. has evolved. Yep. So thereby, we have to continue to evolve and find more effective solutions in how we're going to get things to change. And in a lot of ways, own up to the responsibility of the passivity in looking for a leader. Yeah. We're no longer in a place where the leader is is needed. You are the individual leader for your household, for your the company that you work for, for your friend circle, whatever it is, these individual portions end up creating Voltron, you know, the sword the, the Power Ranger joint and can fight these more massive, more larger demons and the to keep it moving. So uh you know, you know what I like about you two brothers is uh, uh, Brooklyn is speaking so well, and he'll bring up, uh, he'll throw in a Wakanda, and Anthony will throw in Voltron. <laughs> I like that. I love it. <laughs> hey, man, I grew up on this stuff, too, so I, I'm, I'm with you there. So, um, uh, And shout out to Mo. I thought it was the Mo, uh, but I wasn't sure, but now I know for sure it's the Mo. The Mo. So uh, uh, shout out to Mo. Um, uh, I, one thing I want to talk about um, is one thing we don't talk about enough um, is black in, in we're talking about black males. Our warrior spirit. Uh, spe- I'm talking about specifically since we've been here in the United States. Um, we've always had a warrior spirit going back to even slavery you talk, think about Nat Turner you think about the Haitian Revolution you talk, you talk about uh, many uprisings you talk about through Jim Crow uh, Reconstruction uh, Civil Rights Movement and on and we you know black men we've had a warrior spirit and it felt like in especially in the last 10 years the uh, warrior spirit seemed to be having dissipated, right? And there's a lot of reasons why you can say that, where I felt that way. Um, in recent weeks, maybe we've seen somewhat of a return of a warrior spirit. Um, but I have to say, I think it's a natural thing for a lot of us. And when you get to a point where you get pulled over by police, right? I've been pulled over many times, right? It's frustrating, right? The, you know, the, the thing they always tell you is just get, just get home, right? And that's true. Just get home. Whatever has to happen, just get home. But for some of us, you know, some of us, we do everything we're supposed to do. We follow directions and it still goes left, Right? But sometimes there's situations where we quote unquote don't follow the whatever they they're supposed to do, ask a question, a freaking question, and get killed. 
And there's there's points in our lives where we talked about at the workplace and in other places where our our nature, the warrior spirit, wants to come out. But a lot of us feel like, you know, you can't show that. Or, you know, like, you know, I, I'll give you a great examples is a lot of times, especially out here in Los Angeles, you go into a lot of buildings and you don't really see in a lot of, you know, jobs, you don't see real masculine brothers anywhere. It's almost like they're discontinuing that model, you know. And then there's some that play down, you know, because they want to exist in this world. So what I'm what I want to ask for you guys is you guys are strong black men who I believe have a warrior spirit. Mm-hmm. How do you maintain that warrior spirit and use it when appropriate and impart it to you guys don't have kids, right? Yet, but you have I'm sure younger cousins, maybe siblings. Eventually you're going to have kids. How do you how do you be uh, a conduit to pass on a warrior spirit as well? You know, um, not misplaced. You know what I'm saying? Because you can be misplaced. Right. But how do you maintain it, keep it and also pass it on to the young brothers who may not have someone like yourself as a uh, mentor? Uh-oh, you're, uh, I medium. promise I'm going to keep it under 60 seconds. Okay. <laughs> Here we go. You have to be who you are. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, my entire family, my entire bloodline, mom and dad are from Jamaica. And that goes back. And there are people, there's a tribe called Maroons, these are the people responsible for the revolutions in Jamaica. There is that that exact warrior spirit. And you have to harness that with one word, control. You know? We all, you know, maybe twice a week, maybe once a day, want to break someone's nose. We don't break someone's nose. You know? You... There are times when you have to win with words, win with action, not words, because you know you can't argue and debate with everyone. But it's about control. I have a lot of nieces, a lot of nephews. Um, I have a great niece now, and it's about being in control and using your power, your talent, your creativity, your intelligence, your gift. In that warrior spirit, we all. We have to keep our warrior spirit and be ready to protect ourselves and our friends and family, um, and and first and foremost our women. Um, and of course, kids can't forget the kids. But it's about channeling that power properly. And that's how I'm going to say that's up. Um, I think the warrior spirit is not necessarily something that you can. Uh, intentionally pass on I think a lot of it it is innate um, most times you know everybody doesn't possess the same level of warrior spirit everybody doesn't you know necessarily come from the same the long line of you know the Mbutu tribe and Shaka Zulu and you know I mean we have those examples of you know ancestors but it's also something that is I think just sparked based on your particular conditioning Um, Mm -hmm. honestly well not even so much 
that is cultivated throughout the conditioning and how you're nurtured, but it's, it's either you have it or you don't. Uh, for the same reason where, you know, not every civilian joins the armed, you know, forces can go to, has the mind or the wherewithal to be able to subject yourself to that conditioning and that training and then um, essentially allow your life to be used as, you know, a step or a small cog in the wheel as a catalyst for some sort of change uh, in whatever it is that you believe in. And so I can identify where mine came. My warrior spirit didn't come from my father, it came from my mother. Mm. Uh, and even I, even more so understanding that at this point in life, like, yeah, no, my mother was the, 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 the I guess the radical, the, the, the questioner, the revolutionary, the challenger of, of ideas. And um, as to where I didn't have much experience with my father growing up, but it's, it's the times or the experience that I did have, there was no, I mean, his fights were fighting because he was messing with somebody else's woman. You know what I mean? And like, that ain't no, that's self-preservation more so than having a warrior spirit. But right. also, I, I absolutely agree with Brooklyn and being, just knowing where to, when and where to use it. I mean, you do have to kind of keep it contained and almost like the Kraken is <laughs> submerged into this deep, dark cave. It's this all-powerful being, but until it's released, and at its appropriate time to be able to be utilized in the correct fashion, you know what I mean? And it's just it's just sitting there. And it's not like you don't know what's there. I mean, even recent examples, me driving Uber, and that's my primary method, means of earning income right now. Especially on the heels of all this, I have a lot of people, uh, non-melanated, that get in the backseat and then want to have a conversation around... Uh, George Floyd. Fortunately for me, uh, it's not been anybody that said anything in regards to that and how they feel um, that have been out of the way. It's been a little bit nerve-wracking and taxing because I'm like, I don't know, you're drunk, and I don't know, you know, uh, a drunk man tells no tales. <laughs> a, drunk a drunk man speaks a sober mind, so I'm like, I, where are you going with this? Yeah. And it's 3 o'clock in the morning, I'm still a large black man. You still are protected by, you know, whatever. If something were to occur, uh, it's your word against mine, and is my word going to be believed if it comes to some sort of physical altercation? Thankfully, it hasn't. The worst thing that's happened in the past few days is, you know, this white guy got in the back seat and called me Craig. And that was unnerving. Hey, Craig, can you turn that shit up? He liked the music, apparently, that I was playing and wanted me to turn it. And I, um kind of sat in in disbelief like uh, he didn't call me Craig that's not that's not what this man just ah, there's no way because I, I mean my name is definitely on the app as a driver when you so what you nah and it wasn't I had to stop myself from thinking about it until thankfully it was only like a four or five minute ride dropped him off and then I had to revisit it like and this man called me Craig <laughs> And not that that is a you know inherently negative word, but the connotation like Friday, and the energy behind Friday? it. I don't know. We didn't have. Is a that like an Alfredo for? Um, I didn't. I didn't for respond. Como. <laughs> I, I didn't respond. I'm like, is that a you know? I don't. I don't know where you're coming from. Did you? Was that a slip of the name? I, I also don't want to be. I guess a, a accused of. I guess what Ice Cube? Was he calling you Ice Cube or something? I man, I don't know. You know what? 
But I, it, it couldn't have been that because we got to wear masks while we're driving. So, oh, okay. it's, you know, you can't even see my face. Even right. though I've been uh, likened to Ice Cube, you know, a time or two. You know, mm-hmm. But, I, I, yeah, that, that wasn't it. So I'm not really certain as far as where that's come from. But thankfully, that's the I wildest thing. I can see it. Thing. But, I mean, I think that um, it, that there, I don't think that the nuance is there. I don't think that, I don't, especially with a mask on, and I don't think the nuance to go Craig instead of Ice Cube. No, everybody loves Friday, but Craig, the character Craig is not bigger than the man Ice Cube. Right. right. He would have definitely called him Ice Cube if that's what he was trying to do. Right. Right. So he was just on some bullshit. I mean, Quite maybe possibly. not. People are, it's Uber. People are drunk. But yeah. That's, that okay. is, that's the other part about being black, right? Like, you... I don't care if you're just a jerk, right? And we we almost have to train ourselves to, I don't know if you guys watch Insecure, but there's a character, Molly, Yvonne Orji plays Molly. I love mm-hmm. this show. And when something happened recently, it was, it was racial. You know, it's probably 90% chance it was racial, but you have to react because there's layers. It's disrespectful and shady in the first place, but you know you're kind of trying to discern, like, is this racial as well? You know, it could be. He could have genuinely looked at the app and said something else, you know, or thought something else, or has a bartender named Craig at his local watering hole, or whatever the case may be. Or he might have been being shady, but we don't. There are times we don't know. And there are other times we're like, you know what? I don't even care. I don't like you now. And it's just, it's one of those, I, I couldn't respond because of, like, I, I felt, you know, I guess, body tremors because, like, I have to, having to have, and here we go once again, having to have the wherewithal to make a decision on how I react in that small space when there is a, a, a potential, it being a potential catalyst, as opposed to the law enforcement officials that are out here that are supposedly trained and need to make an even more critical decision and don't have the ability, seemingly, um, to do that or to make those decisions. But it also comes down to, we can go back to being in all forces. There is a, <laughs> a code that the armed forces is held by, but the police are not held by. We yeah. have UCMJ. You got the unif- uh, uh, uniform. Uh, what is it? Uh, code of military, military justice. justice. That's what it is. Uniform code of military justice. So, you have to be in imminent danger, like we discussed on the last time, mm-hmm. uh, on, the, on the last show. It has and to be going this- down. You can't feel like it's about to go down. <laughs> it has to be going down before you start firing upon people. But apparently police don't have that level of, um, you know, accountability. It's not. And so that's why it makes it even more difficult for those black officers. I've considered um, even here recently joining uh, a police department because I've warred between I'm way more of a soldier than I am a police uh, type person. It's not what I said, but Mm -hmm. I'm just going to keep it like that. (laughs) And um but if I continue to think, if everybody thinks that way, then how many people are we injecting into the system to try to make some sort of 
to attack it in a different way or in more than one way to make some sort of viable change. But then it makes it difficult because, I mean, I haven't put my uniform on since this whole thing happened because at, at a certain point, I don't know if I'm not a police officer, but I don't know if you're going to automatically associate me because of my uniform. I mean, I, I, I've worked in a law enforcement capacity. And if you decide that the adversary is all personnel who are alike, then regardless of my skin color, now I'm fighting, I'm in the middle of two wars being fought, and I have to decide on which side I'm going to fight. You know what I mean? And, it's, and that's even more of a mindfuck. Like, <laughs> I think our problem with our, our issue, right, and that a lot of the law enforcement community doesn't get is that um, We don't hate police officers. Right. We hate the brutal cops, the killer cops, and we also dislike the fact that their partners can stand by, right? Like Dan Lathan had a brilliant conversation with Austin Rivers, who's an NBA player and Doc Rivers' son. Brilliant. <laughs> very short, if you go on Van Lathan's Instagram a couple of uh, days ago, he said it. He was talking to Austin. He's like, Austin, aren't you an NBA player? Yes. How many people on your team? He's like, there's 13 of us. And he's like, let's say someone on your team is molesting children. And all 13 of you know it. And none of you stop it. And none of you report him. They're all bad. How many good men are on that team? And often, to his discredit, he rubbed his goatee, he scratched his head, and he was trying to come up with a number. And Van says, zero. There are zero good men on that squad of 13 who knows about the criminal activity, and none of them do anything about it. So when... I'm from Brooklyn. So when... The 71st Precinct, the 73rd, the 75th, the 72nd, 77th Precinct, when they were just murdering black teenagers, when they were, when they were the biggest drug dealers in Brooklyn, mm-hmm. and they, they, they just were not getting arrested. Everybody knew, right? One cop got arrested, but that's because he started killing the witnesses. Damn. And it was like, okay, well, I guess we got to arrest him now. But before that, you had all these police who knew of this activity. So you're going to try to tell me that Black Lives Matter is a farce, that black people get the same treatment as everybody else by police, that, hey, they're black police, so they can't be harmful. But then at the same time, you're going to show me in living color this nine-minute video of an Asian police officer holding the crowd back and a rainbow coalition of black, white, you know, other officers, all from a different, you see the other angle, all three of them were trying to kill him. All three of them had their, they had 500 pounds on this man. Like, if you're not Wolverine, you cannot survive that. Right. You cannot survive that. And um, they get they get this uh, 
this legal protection that says, hey, look, a cop might even get fired, <laughs> but a cop almost never goes to jail. It's not even so much a legal protection. It's that blue wall of silence. And the, the union that, that I see inside of it is being damned if you do and damned if you don't. Once you're on that side, the, I mean, I know officers personally who have gone through this and, you know, vicariously that I've seen throughout different situations. It's us or them. You, you're not black. You're either black or blue. And you have to decide and make it, I guess, make the decision. So if you make a decision to be just and right, as we've seen with many other whistleblowers, then what happens? You know what I mean? Well, now you're no longer in the system to even potentially be able to affect the change from on the inside. Unless you're trying to play a long game and get to a position of power, so now you can actually make something. But it's like, you know what I mean? Unless you got... It still takes another non-black person to advocate for whatever what it, what it is that you're saying in order for something to maybe happen but then you get you know put on desk duty or if we've seen such as in many other cases the person or the officer that is the one that is there and maybe not even the direct cause of you know life being taken is ends up being uh non-white and they end up taking the fall sean bell who took who, who got arrested who took the fall the black cop you know what i mean who none of the amadou diallo none of them got arrested you know what i mean or uh, any and a numerous amount of times where it continues to happen because oh we got to protect our own it's us against them it's no more protect the community or even service community that we live in we're not doing that we're not now we're just protecting the, us our own in this homeostasis because it's us against them and but the system that backs them or of the laws that they are enforcing is what has created this insidious environment to begin with and so even with the immediate reform or having a review board civilian review board and things of that nature that still isn't the major problem we're bandaging the issue because it's the litigation it's the it's all of this legislature that has been passed that has been given them i guess that this is they're the arm of the law they're not the law you know what I mean? If I slap somebody, my elbow is not to blame. <laughs> it took my entire arm, or, right. or my hand is not necessarily to blame. That's just was executed, the, you know what I mean, the action intended by even my brain registering my arm to swing with somebody to slap the shit out of. <laughs> we can cut the hand off, but I can still hit you with this arm because it still exists. You know what I'm saying? So it's, um, there are so many layers, which is why for me, I don't feel the need or it necessary to go and march. Me personally. Not for everybody else, but just for me personally. Because I've been to marches. I've been to protests. I've held the signs. I've done all these things. Where the difference where it comes in is whether you are, whether or not you are going to fight. And I found myself conflicted when it's time to actually fight to really put your life on the line. I've done it for in, uh, for this country as a whole. But at this point, I will do it for my people. And should it be brought to that, no, I'm, I'm going to save my or reserve my energy and I'll let the people who are going to march because most of them people are not, going, are not going to join that war. A lot of them are not even the ones that are inciting these riots or 
burning down buildings. It's not even them. You got those people, those plants that are inside that are trying to instigate some type of race war, some type of martial law to be instituted and things like that. So I mean, like, we have to also watch those agent provocateurs is what we have to watch for. And I'm not trying to get on to no uh, Just, conspiracy theorist you know, type ideology, but these things are actual fact. These, I'm sure many people, if not everybody on here, has heard of COINTELPRO. That shit didn't go anywhere. And the black deaths as well, yeah. And so, like, that shit did not go anywhere. <laughs> and so, yeah. but when it's time to fight, me realizing the people that are now newly angered and at home and they're part of the protest is to post something, blackout image on on uh, social media or to get out there and march or to wear the teeth, all of these things to stand in solidarity, I don't take away from any of those things. But I know that when it's time to fight, the same reason why I said earlier that everybody is not uh, does not innately have that warrior spirit. So when it's time to actually fight and put your life in potentially shed blood, then I know where I stand in that in that in that regard, and I know where I'll be because everybody else, a lot of other people, not everybody else will still be at home. And it is for me at that point to be a soldier for that cause. And that's where my fight would be, as opposed to just, you know, I don't need to walk around all the time. I have a particular set of skills, shout out to Liam Neeson, <laughs> that I have been granted. <laughs> I have, you know I mean, essentially or inadvertently become the, the spook that's sat by the door. And so my warrior spirit has to be more contained, has to be more docile in appearance, because when it's time to let it loose, you won't, <laughs> You want, I mean, I don't know how many people have read Sun Tzu's The Art of War, but these there is a science to the way that war happens, whether you've been in war briefings, whether you've read this book, whether you've seen the way that uh, just historically things have, have taken place and have occurred, whether or not they've been truthfully accounted for or not. So, uh, but I digress. I, I went on a bit of a tangent. No, you're good, man. You're good. So, Sh Shannon... So any last uh, thing you want to um, ask before we get on out of here? Um, not anything that I want to ask. I just want to continue to challenge and encourage um, you men specifically, uh, since you're on the show, but all men who are watching this, who will catch the replay of this show, um, who will hear about it in conversation, um, to, to be the safe space that you are desiring so that you can be vulnerable so that you can be accessible, so that you can be um, reachable to other people who need you in their corner, who need you in their world, who need you in life, who, who value you as a human being first, um, who love your warrior spirit, your quiet strength and not so quiet strength, um, your um, audacity and your tenacity, your um, linguistics and your creative nook and niches your ability to walk into a boardroom or a ballroom and command the room um we need that from you day in and day out we need you to show up show out show love love without delay um and trust that we will continue to hold you up to the light of goodness and create safe spaces for you to continue to be vulnerable because we can't do it without each other the, the, the narrative that people are selling, we are not selling that. We need each other to survive. We need each other mm. to make. And if I'm not capping for anybody, I'm, I'm here to cap for black and black men and black women. We need to be here for each other. We need to. I wish that. I'm each other in life. Said, Shannon, what you just said, Shannon, I wish that 
was the poem at the end of Love Jones instead of what Nina Mosley said. She was talking about some I'm looking at sound. But what Shannon, what you just said, we need to write that down. And and uh, just to let you guys know, you'll hear more of that from Shannon on Thursday. <laughs> so make Shannon sure you guys come through. It's the Poetry <laughs> Night Slam, uh, 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 Eastern. And Shannon, she gave a, gave a little preview. She's going to really hold it down on Thursday. I can't wait. Words are my superpower. But not only that, and I, and I hear all the time, you know, I like to use words. I'm a master at them. It's my heart. It is truly what I believe. And I believe if you are saying who you are, you need to show that. Mm. And so nothing is um, questionable in where my heart lies for black men. Oh. And where my heart lies for black women, we have got to get back to these restorative, redemptive relationships with each other. I don't, I don't, I don't subscribe to the concept of all lives matter and all loves matter until black lives matter and black love matters. And those things matter to me. They're vital. They're necessary. They're essential. When the world has to shut down and go get crawl up into their private spaces. I still want black lives and black love to fill the deal day in and day out. Because that's where the wealth of our community lies within those two contexts, within those two constructs. So y'all go, y'all might get it on a card. You might see it on a t-shirt. All right. Love it. I love it. All right. Let's, let's start off with uh, Anthony. How can we get you social media and what should we be on the lookout for? Oh, social media, you can get me on uh, my name, Free For Real, F-R-E-E-T-H-A-R-E-A-L. That's on um, Twitter. That's on, well, you probably won't find me on Facebook. Um, But as far as film work and those things that are up and coming, that is on Instagram at Woodshed Pictures, spelled the proper way, um, all one word. There's photography there, but I will soon be... um, Filming my probably my first docu series. All right, um, all right. On um, and that subject matter is on black manhood. So I think it's very apropos. I guess I think the timing. It's never not time to be able to speak on and define what black manhood is um, and or is not, uh, as opposed to having these narratives float around that we don't subscribe to and we're not funding those things. So uh, you can look out. For that, for some, I guess, teasers and things that come up over in the coming months, and for that, I do thank COVID for motivating me or sitting me down long enough to where I can get my mind together to really pursue what I've been only conceptualizing for the past several years. Now it's time for the rubber to meet the road, and that's that's why. And brother, you are an extremely talented dude. Um, you know, I uh, you can talk on a lot of different topics. Uh, I remember you was going to do a, a, a music show. And, you know, so at some point, so, you know, I love, I'm a big music snob. So, you know, I always love, you know, I, I think we have a similar taste. So, I think so, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, anytime you do that, man, I'm there for you. So, uh, I'm I, definitely gearing up for that, for yeah. music and also for, um, I am, I'm also a firearms instructor. So, oh, I yeah. also have some things coming up for those things. Um, USCCA, you can mm-hmm. look that up. Um, United States Concealed Carry Association is what that stands for. Um, and like home defense, uh, concealed carry, things of that nature. And also, you know, people on weapons fundamentals, how to manipulate your weapon system uh, safely 
insecurely and how to properly maintain it. So all of these things, I definitely appreciate that uh, that compliment. But I'm I'm just trying to be modern day Renaissance man. I, <laughs> I know a little bit about a lot of things. So. Yeah. And Brother Brooklyn, you know, um, was a big fan of yours going back to the, the old school days when you and and uh, uh, Miss Golson uh, used to do your show, the 42 percent. Love that show. It was awesome. Um, and uh, there was something, uh, Shannon, I think you, you, you didn't get a chance to check that out back in the day, but it was a tremendous show. I, I wish you guys would do like a reunion show or something. Uh, yeah, yeah, just let me know, man. I'll be there, man, and I'll help you promote it and all of that stuff. Same thing with, yeah, for anybody, but I, de- definitely, I that was such a great show, and it's still needed. So, uh, so um, how can we get you social media, and what should we be on the lookout for? Uh, I am on Facebook, Brooklyn Taylor. I'm on Instagram, King underscore underscore Brooklyn. Um, as as Free said, spelled the right way. Um, I'm on Twitter at Brooklyn PCB, like Papa Charlie Bravo. Mm. Um, I'm on TikTok, but I don't really use it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's King Brooklyn as well. I never did Snapchat. Mm. I have a Snapchat, but I've never used it. Um, anyway, so yeah, you can you can find me. Uh, you can find me mostly on Instagram and Facebook. Um, and I'm, I'm writing a couple books right now. I'm writing one about cars. I'm a big time car collector, car enthusiast, car nut. Um, and I'm writing a uh, a romance novel mm. uh, about a, a love. Well, it's more than a love triangle, but we spoke about Shannon's head. To the side. <laughs> so, really, um, yeah. So it's all about it's all about black love. Um, may you find it. May you hold on to it. Um, may you treat it correctly. Um, it's all about you know unity and what we've been trying to tell people. I guess since sixteen nineteen, um, having some sense of community, having some love for other black people is not hatred for anybody else Amen. it is it is, um, it is an attempt to maintain some dignity some peace some love some sense of value of the same values that the rest of America and the rest of the world is interested in Amen. people are interested in having a comfortable life, having someone to love, you know, um, feeling safe, and and having independence and opportunity. It's not a lot to ask. It is the fundamental human default, unless someone's trying to stop you from that. That that's all. So. How in, if someone in June 2020 does not get the, the basis that we are simply trying to survive and thrive and live like everyone else on the planet, 
if they're if they don't get that, then they don't want to get that. If they don't want to get that, then we are wasting time, energy, and resources trying to explain it at this point. Amen. And before Shannon speaks, uh, I just want to say uh, I want to thank her once again for putting this together. And, you know, ever since I've known Shannon, it's been uh, a while now, she's always been positive when it comes to the uh, and wanting to talk about the relationship between black men and women. And she is a great champion for uh, for not only sisters, black women, but black men as well. And I really appreciate that about you, Shannon. And, you know, um, once again, another super talented person. There's so many tools in your toolbox. We'll spend all night listing all of them. But, you know, Shannon, we all love you. Uh, you know, I can. I think I can speak for everybody uh, that uh, every, you're very well loved, Shannon. And uh, so how can people get you in social media? What should we be on the lookout for uh, as well? You can get me on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, Shannon Ford, like the president, hyphen Jefferson, like the president. Um, looking out for, I am still promoting um, my book, which will be books now. Um, since they're coming out next year instead of this year. So May 21st, 2021 is Daddy, Dismantling Daddy Dysfunction and All the Men I Loved After Him. And then August 14th, 2021 is Marrying Mommy, The Woman I Love, The Woman I Hate, The Woman in the Mirror. Mm. Um, and it's a closer look at relationships with our parents and how they play out in relationships with people that we love. Um, platonic, romantic, or otherwise um, in poetry form. Um, I'm on live Facebook every Sunday um, promoting something or another. Um, and what I'm time? Um, Sundays, it's ranges between 9 p.m. and 10 p.m. I'm off overnight as of yesterday. Hopefully, it'll be earlier, but I kind of like the 9 o'clock hour. Um, it tends to allow my friends to have kids to put them down for bedtime and then sit in the room. Um, and then, of course, you can find me here on Mondays. Um, I want to continue to have these restorative, redemptive relationships, which is why the summer series was born, or birth, rather. So it's important to me that we foster these healthy relationships, even in a pandemic, even in a state of civil unrest, because love will in my opinion, love will always lead the way. Uh, so, yeah. I love it. I love it, Shannon. Uh, you can get me at Kente F on Twitter, Kente Ferguson on Instagram. Of course, the website is IndyRadio.org. That's I-N-D-Y Radio.org. Once again, we'll be back on Thursday at 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 Eastern for the Poetry Show. Um, and uh, uh, I'll stay along uh, after we say goodbye here for the post chat. Uh, I wanted to let people know, uh, have a safe, great weekend, stay healthy, and God bless you. Thank you, guys. You know I love you.